Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago. <laughs> Thank you, Cody. So let's say good morning to our people online here. Good morning, wherever the camera is. Now, I know some of you at home are thinking, wow, that wasn't as great as it usually is. So come on, let's give them what we gave them on Easter. Hi, everybody online. So good morning. I'm happy to be here. It's, it's the Sunday after Easter. It's beautiful outside. I'm excited because it's beautiful outside. Um, but I want to, we're continuing our series in Hebrews, and we're going to start a new sub-series within that series right now. But for those of you who are my age and older, probably maybe a little bit younger, 30 years ago, I know there are some people in here going, I wasn't even born then. 30 years ago, Kellogg's found that cornflakes were dipping in sales and they were trying to figure out exactly what to do. And so they came up with this ad campaign. It was 30 years ago, and they played this commercial during the Super Bowl, and it was, you know, some guy who had a bowl of cornflakes, and he's looking at it, and he's going, you know, yeah, this is so plain. It's not really like, you know, a decent cereal. It needs some raisins. It needs some fruit. It needs something. You need a rock star to promote it, something. It's just so... Then he tastes it, and he goes, hmm, this is good. I like this. And then the tagline says, Kellogg's cornflakes, taste them again for the first time. I say that to say this. We are going to go through Hebrews 11 today, which is a very well-worn passage of scripture. It is very well-traveled. And you're going to hear a word today, faith, a nice churchy word that we hear all the time. And so my prayer for all of us today and my request for all of you today is that you would let go of all the things you already know about faith. You'll hear some things that you've heard before. You may hear some things that you hadn't heard before. But what I want you to do, given how much faith matters in our, in our walk with God, it is, it is what I call the currency of the kingdom, I want you to think about faith and taste it again for the first time, okay? So we have been looking at the book of Hebrews and we've been looking at this letter that is written to Jewish believers who are right now in Rome and they are struggling. They're, they're being persecuted and the letter was written to be able to encourage them. The, letter, the writer of the letter of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. It could be Barnabas, it could be Paul, it could be any number of people. I, I imagine that it's Phoebe who actually wrote the letter to the Hebrews. But the letter itself is purposed to keep people encouraged, to tell them to not go back to, to their old ways. They were thinking, let's just go back to the way we used to do things, to what we felt was normal. And so the writer of Hebrews goes through and talks to them about the importance of Jesus as not just message, but messenger, as not just the priest, but also the sacrifice that Jesus 
is better than Moses and he's better than the angels and it just makes this case and also gives these warnings, these severe warnings, some of the most severest warnings in scripture come from the book of Hebrews, but it all is as an, as an effort to keep them from turning back because he's trying to tell them every single thing you wanna go back to is actually pointing you forward toward Jesus. The law, the temple, it's not just that Jesus and, and what he does and his sacrifice that he makes is a, is a vision of the priest moving through the temple, but as Rick talked about, that the temple itself is actually every single part tells you something about who Jesus is, that he is greater than the law, that he is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, but he's better than Melchizedek. And so in Hebrews 10, we come to this place where it says that the righteous shall live by faith. And this is the big idea. This is the point. This is the call to action. And then it says in Hebrews 10, 39, but, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved and move forward. So there's our word, faith, and that's the big idea of Hebrews. The whole point of all the warnings, the whole point of all the, the, the discussions, of everything that's going on in Hebrews comes to this place. It's a callback to Habakkuk 2 and 4 where it just says the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And we see that again in Galatians and we see it in Romans. But here we see it in chapters 11 through 13 it kind of gives us a picture of what it looks like when the just or the righteous shall live by faith. And so I, I want us to just figure the, the, the big idea, if I were to, to use contemporary language for it, would be kind of, kind of what Kendrick Lamar says. He says, life will put many red lights in front of you, but sometimes you just gotta push on the gas and trust God. That is pretty much Hebrews 11 through 13. I can go home now. But what I want to do is unpack it for us all. So we're going to look at Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 16. So let's take first, the first part of it, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. And many of you have seen this passage before. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The first thing I want us to really understand about faith, and this is the thing I think the world struggles with believers when it comes to faith, is that faith is not detached from reality. Faith is not detached from reality. As a matter of fact, faith just has a very different understanding of reality. Faith is expecting, not suspecting. If we look at that passage, it says faith is the confidence. Can we put that back up? Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. That word hope for, it actually means that we expect it. It's not hope the way we think, well, gee, I sure hope that thing happens, and it may or it may not. But what we expect to happen, faith is the confidence or the thing we stand on because we expect it to happen. And it is the certainty, the, the assurance 
about what we cannot see. In some verse, it says the evidence of things not seen. So it is proof. Our faith is proof that the thing that we cannot see is in fact real. Faith is believing in what's not yet, not what's in not there. And so it's important for us to remember that because when we think about faith, a lot of times we think, oh, my faith is weak because I'm worried about whether or not it's going to happen. That's not what faith is. Faith is not thinking. It's not optimism. It's not, it's, not, uh, it's not looking at the future and going, it might happen. It might not happen. I hope it does. That's not faith. Faith is reasonable even when it's beyond reason. Look, I don't know everything about what God does or what God is, but I do know that someone beyond me draws me to him and that someone within me helps me to move toward God. I know that some of the most excruciating things that have happened to me in my life actually make sense when I look at them through the lens of Jesus suffering and dying and resurrecting. I wouldn't trade a single scrape or burn or violation or pain or tear. I wouldn't trade any of it because all of those things, when I look at it through the lens of my faith, are the reason I'm standing here. Without every single one of them, by faith I know and am certain that there is reason even for the things I don't understand that have happened in my life. I understand that mathematically my life should not add up to joy or peace or happy or any of those things or abundance or favor and yet here I am because I'm his, because by faith I know I belong to Elkanah, the jealous one. And so faith is about, is about certainty. It's about believing and understanding and knowing what it is you know. Knowing in your knower. Some of you who, who know me will hear me say that. I know in my knower a thing or something. And so not only do we have a different understanding of reality through faith, but faith is also the new definer of our identity. Hebrews 11.2 says that this is what the ancients were commended for. And so it says, by faith, the ancients or our ancestors, the writer is explaining to them, obtained a good reputation or were commended or a good testimony. Some translations say it's a good witness. So the good they became known for, the thing that they became understood for, the thing that marked them, it came through their faith. Now this part of the book of Hebrews is often called the hall of faith because there are so many examples. But one of my favorite examples isn't actually in Hebrews 11 or 12 or 13. It's actually the thief on the cross who's dying right next to Jesus, the one that he saves. I am amazed by that guy. Because on the one hand, you've got Jesus who's on a cross, who's dying, who's nailed to a cross, and he's suffering, and he knows why he's suffering. Then you've got this guy next to him who doesn't have any kind of a pedigree like that. This guy is up there, deservedly up there, and he knows it. 
and he knows who he is. But in that moment, in those few moments before he goes, he says, I know who you are. I believe who you are. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in that moment, Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. By faith, we're still talking about that guy. We're not, we only, we call him the thief on the cross only because we don't know his name, right? If it was Fred or Jim or, you know, Huckleberry or whatever his name could possibly be, we'd call him by his name. But what we remember about him is what he believed. We remember this act of faith, and we are talking about him thousands of years later because he believed God, because he had faith, and by that faith, this guy gets saved in that moment. I often look at that, and I think if I were ever going to, to preach a sermon to a group of people who were in you know, a senior citizen's home or a rest home, I would be asking them, what are you doing with the last few minutes of your life? This guy made the most of the last few minutes of his life. And by faith, he is no longer defined by the worst mistake he ever made. By the things that people said about him on the ground. By all of the things that, that, that could have been said about him. This guy is known as the guy who was saved on the cross thousands of years later. Because of his faith. Now, you would think that when the writer of Hebrews starts at, this is what faith is, and faith is a good thing because there's this good report that he would launch right into all of the examples, right? And just tell everybody, now, this is this guy, and this is Noah, and this is Abraham, and this is so-and-so. But he takes what looks like a little bit of a sidestep or kind of a, a stutter step in verse 3 before he launches into the examples in verse 4. And it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, you could actually jump straight from, now, this is what the ancients were commended for. For example, Abel, Noah, Enoch. But there's this little thing right here. And to us, we look at that, and it seems like maybe a little bitty rabbit trail or a tangent, or it's out of step with the point of the passage. But the Hebrew readers saw it for what it actually was. It was a literary device, and it was a tool to recalibrate their thinking. It was not there to distract them from the examples, but it was there to frame the examples and to provide a lens through which they needed to look at each of these examples. And what he, with the point that he makes, he takes them back to Genesis and he says that the world was formed, the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so what he's telling them is that the things that you see, they come from things that you don't see. The way you live your life, the way you move through your life is not determined or shaped by or formed by the things that you can see. And so when you're going through this, he's saying, I want you to understand that what you see is not all there is. Now, it's easy when you're going through, and it's easy when you're suffering to think 
that your suffering is the last or the first word on what is going on in your life, that our, our problems are in charge of our lives and not God. It's easy for our pain to actually speak louder than our prayers, and it's easy to, for example, give in to an addiction. It's better than, fall, than failing over and over and over again as you try to walk through recovery. And then before you know it, you have allowed your circumstances, the things that you see, to shape your hope. You've actually allowed those things. The Hebrews understood that the Romans were persecuting, that they were, that they were under oppression, that they were struggling, and that began to shape their faith. And then faith becomes the substance of your resignation or the substance of your fear or the substance of your exhaustion and it becomes the evidence of the things you see going on around you. And so they needed a recalibration. They needed a reminder that what they were seeing was not the first word or the final word, but that the first and the final word belongs to the Alpha and the Omega. It belongs to the God who spoke time into a space and space into place. It was the God who began the good work and would be faithful to complete it, Paul says in Philippians. It's the one whose thoughts and ways are above ours and beyond us and beyond our understanding. It's the one in whom we would find salvation and rest. And so not only do they know that faith operates according to a different understanding of reality and that faith becomes the new definer of their identity, but most importantly, especially when we're struggling, faith is not a function of information from God as much as it is the invitation of God. Because without the calibration of verse three, what we find is this is faith. Faith is marked, it marked our ancestors. Now, look at Abel, look at Enoch, look at Abraham, look at Sarah. Do what they did, because it would just look like information. But with verse three, what we find is that the focus is not on what they did, but it is on the God that invited them into a relationship. His word becomes the lens, and his work becomes the frame that shapes the next examples. And so now we're ready to look at stories, not just information about a narrative or things that happened in events and moments and things like that. And this matters because now we're invited into the stories of these people. And why does it matter that we're invited into the story of a person versus just given information to a, about a person? If I give you information about me, that's one thing. But if I invite you into my story now, that looks a little different. Henry Nouwen says it like this. One of the remarkable qualities of the story is that it creates space. We can dwell in a story, walk around, find our own place. The story confronts, but it does not oppress. The story inspires, but it does not manipulate. The story invites us to an encounter a dialogue, a mutual sharing. As long as we have stories to tell each other, there is hope. As long as we can remind each other of the lives of men and women in whom the love of God becomes manifest, there is reason to move forward 
to new land in which new stories are hidden. Stories invite us to remember who we are. That our stories are not just a collection of moments or events or good or bad experiences. We are part of a larger story. We're a part of a kingdom story. We're a part of a love story. And by telling the stories of their ancestors, the writer of Hebrews is reminding those believers, and by extension us, of their connection to God and God's connection to them. And it's a connection that is only possible through faith. And this, says the writer of Hebrews, is what faith does in the life of these people. He starts with Abel, and he says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So when you think about the Hebrews, they were actually struggling, and they were being oppressed, and they were being persecuted, and they were going through a lot of pain. And he gives them the example of a person who was killed for his faith. It doesn't say that in Genesis, but by the time you get here to Hebrews, it talks about things through the lens of Abel's devotion to God and how God approved of that. And this, we can see, is the reason for Cain's response and reaction to him because faith worships because God is worthy, not because we feel like it. And so when you look at Abel and you look at the fact that he worshiped and he brought the best to God because God was worthy and it cost him his life, God said, A, Abel is still righteous. B, his voice still speaks. His blood speaks from the ground. So no matter what you go through, no matter how hard it gets, no matter if it costs you your life, you will speak. Abel actually gives us our first look at resurrection because he's speaking even after he dies. Jesus calls him the righteous Abel in the book of Matthew. And when we look at Abel, we see him as the first prophet because his voice spoke even after he died. He's the first martyr to faith. He is the first prophet. He is the first hint at resurrection. And so when we think about how God said, where's your brother? And Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And he said, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. The people of God, they matter. Their righteousness lives on even after they do. And then he goes from there to Enoch. And it says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, most of us take that verse 6 and we take it out of there and we let it sit there by itself. And what we miss when we see this is that it says that Enoch pleased God. Some translations say that he walked with God. In fact, when you look back in Genesis, all you see about Enoch is Enoch walked with God, Enoch lived 365 years, the end. And that's it. But what we find here is that Enoch's walking with God 
was actually an earnest desire to chase after him. Because faith not only desires God, but it chases after God, even when the world is not chasing after God. Enoch is actually the great-grandfather of Noah, and the times that he was living in, the world was a bit of a mess at that point. But you have this guy who is walking with God, even in the midst of all of this. And so he pleased God, and he pleased God because he chases after God and he desires God. And so then they move from there to Noah. Now the interesting thing about Noah is that it actually says in Genesis as well as, as it says that Noah walked with God, same as Enoch, that he was a righteous man, that he lived as a righteous man and he walked with God. But it says here in Hebrews, here's the thing that they want you to see in Hebrews, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world because, and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Remember, faith understands what's not yet, not what's not real. Faith sees that. Faith understands that and obeys God and its labor is never in vain because even though there was something not seen, God warns him, says this is what's going to happen to the world. Abraham took that as money in the bank and he acted according to what he could not see. And it says that by his faith, he condemned the world. Now the world, as you know, was really wicked at that time and it was something that God just said, I just regret. The state of you, you're just a big, huge mess. So I'm just gonna wipe it out, right? But when you look at Peter, in 2 Peter, he calls Noah a righteous, a preacher of righteousness. And so some commentators actually believe that not only was Noah building this ark, but he was preaching repentance as he was doing it, but no one was listening. And so he and his family get onto this ark, and he literally condemns the world with his righteous behavior, because the righteous or the just shall live by faith. And then the big example. All through Hebrews, we keep seeing these examples of Abraham. And I want to look at Abraham for a few reasons. Let's look first at passages um, at 11, 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, there's that image of the unseen, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the, in the sea. Faith plays the long game. Abraham is the perfect example of faith that plays the long game. There are so many parallels between Abraham and his family and the family of believers 
who were in Rome that the book of Hebrews is written to. There was just a promise. There was no how, no when, no why, just a promise. God said, get up and go. Abraham said, where? He said, I'll let you know when you get there. And he just went. I'm amazed that that happened. When I was living in Los Angeles, I felt the Holy Spirit say, your time here is done. And go. And I took out a map, because I was nice and holy that, you know, in those days. And I was like, where will you send me, Lord? And he said, Atlanta, Georgia. And I said, you know I'm a black woman, and that's the South, right? I am not feeling that, not even a little bit. But I felt the Holy Spirit say, go, stay and see what happens. I went out that day and bought moving boxes. I couldn't afford to move. I didn't know how I was going to move. I just went out and started to do what I needed to do. And I started packing up my things. Didn't know where I was going to go. Didn't know how long I was going to be there. Didn't know, didn't know how I was going to go. And the very next day, there was a residual check for $7,000 at my door. And I could afford to actually move at that point. I still didn't have a place to live. I didn't have, I, I just didn't know. But a girlfriend who lived there called me and said, you know, I was in this neighborhood today, and I just thought, Michelle should live in this neighborhood. And I said, where is it? And she told me where it was, and we looked online, and I found an apartment, and I, I rented it. And I would live in Atlanta for eight years, almost nine years. But because God said, get up and go, didn't know how, didn't know when, didn't know why, didn't know for how long I went until he said, get up and go to Portland, Oregon. And here I am. The running joke with Rick is I'm always saying to him, I'm not here because you hired me. You hired me because God wanted me here. <laughs> and he just goes, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and so you have these people who are in Rome, these, these Hebrew believers, and they are strangers and foreigners like Abraham were. They had no stability like Abraham who lived in tents. They had no security. These people could lose their rights at any moment because they were not Roman citizens. And his family followed him. And so imagine how it must have felt if they were in this place, those of you who are parents, who when you struggle and you have a hard time and you see your children suffer, what that makes you feel like to know my family is following me into this. And it looked hopeless. But it's actually Sarah's behavior in all of this that gives us the key to what it means to have faith in your waiting and when you're playing the long game. It says in verse 11, and by faith even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, if you spend all of your time in Genesis looking at Sarah, then you get the impression that Abraham had faith and Sarah did not, or that Abraham had more faith than Sarah had, that Abraham just believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and Sarah laughed and said, God can't do this. But Sarah was no less skeptical than Abraham was. Because even though she did that, Abraham actually said, can a man have a kid when he's 100 years old? So they, if we look at Hebrews, it says that Sarah, past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children 
because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. The thing unseen, she acts on the thing unseen. And so when you look at that, you think, Sarah did a lot of heavy lifting. Let's think about this for a second, okay? We make a really big deal out of how much faith Abraham had. But how much faith does it actually take to have your 120-some-odd-year-old husband drag his little self over to you? I'm just saying. And it's just like, come here. Let's do this. And then on top of all that, you know, it's like you got to trust and believe. God, I hope it took... You know, and then you got to carry, you're, you're 100, and you got to carry a baby for nine months, and then you got to have a baby at 100. Look, I dig Abraham, but come on now, Sarah deserves a little bit of dap, right? I am not mad at my girl Sarah. But it was doable, not because she was so fantastic or Abraham was so fine, Lord knows he wasn't but because God is so faithful to keep his promises. That's why she was able to do what she was able to do. Our faith is only as good as the object of our faith. If our faith is in the one who spoke the world into being, we're good. If our faith is in the one who cannot lie and compounded that inability to lie with swearing an oath on himself, we're good. If our faith is in the one who is God with us, Emmanuel, our forerunner, who went ahead of us and then said, come on, follow me, because we're going to go right into the presence of God, then we're good. If it's in the one who lives in us, our comforter, our advocate, our Holy Spirit, then we're fine. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and the rest who will follow in the coming weeks, their stories are all different, but they have one thing in common, and that is their willingness to move forward because their faith was in God. Where is your faith? Where is it? Is it in God or is it in your expected or imagined outcome? Is it in God or is it in your limited understanding of God? Is it in God or is it in your comfort, your circumstances, your cash reserves? Is it in God or is it in just the hope or the possibility of relief from pain? Is your faith in God or is it in the world's image of God? How many times have we heard the world say, how can he be God and do this? How can he be God and allow this? And is your faith being shaped by those words, those comments, those wonderings, those questions? Is your faith in God or is your faith in your prayers, in your faith? The moment I found out that I was never going to have children, which I wanted more than anything else in the world, I was so upset because I had been praying and I truly believed that that's what God said and meant was that I was going to have children one day. And when it came to the place where I wasn't going to be able to have children, I remember going to him in prayer and saying to him, I don't even know what to say to you right now. And what he said to me was, 
You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And so by faith, I said that. I wrote that in my journal. I went to sleep. That became my prayer. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And so when I look back on those days and I think about some of the whys about why I don't have children, when I think of some of the ways that God moved in that whole situation, I would not trade it. Many of you know you have kids. I love kids. I love spending time with them. I love seeing them and talking to them and listening to them. Kids have amazing wisdom. But I do not have any. And that is the best thing. By faith, I know that the moments that God gives us are the very best moments he could give us given his plans for our lives, the decisions we've made in our lives, the circumstances going on around us, the people who are watching our lives, the moment I have in my hand that God has given me is the very best moment. He is not withholding a better moment from me to see me suffer. It doesn't always look like that. But by faith, we know that it is. Abel worshiped God, not because Abel was such a good worshiper, but because God was worthy. Enoch walked with God, chased after God, desired God, not because Enoch had such a great heart, but God had such a generous invitation and outstretched hand. Noah obeyed God, not because Noah was so obedient, because when we go into, into Genesis 9 and we see the kind of guy Noah turns out to be, we find that it's not just that Noah was a great guy, but God was a good God and a saving God. They were all willing to move forward because they had a different understanding of reality, because they had a new definer of their identity, and because they took God up on his invitation to worship, to chase, and to obey. If you have your communion elements with you, take them out. Because communion is an invitation for us to declare what we believe and to invite others to believe what we declare. When we take communion, we join Abraham's family, who it says in Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, all these people talking about Abraham's family were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own or a home of their own or a city of their own. If they'd been looking or thinking of the country they'd left, then they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed 
to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Our faith makes us foreigners and strangers here and people who long for the life that Jesus died to provide for us. Jesus, whose body was broken for us. He said, when you take this bread and you eat it, you do it remembering that my body was broken for you. Take and eat. And then he took the wine. His blood was spilled for us, and this wine is the symbol of that spilled blood. Take and drink. Our hope is planted in the promise that is represented by this sacrament. Our hope is planted there, not here. We bear fruit from unseen ground. We bear fruit from an invisible truth. And so our fruit comes not from what we see. It comes not from what decisions were made in our lives, the, the ways that we were hurt, the things that we struggle with, the stuff that faces us every single day. The fruit we bear comes from an understanding that we have a Christ who died on a cross for us. The fruit that we bear, we bear from what is not seen. By faith, we worship because Abel's God is our God. By faith, we walk because Enoch's God is our God. By faith, we live, move, and have our being because Noah's God is our God. We believe, we follow, refusing to turn back even when we don't see or know the how or the why of things because Abraham's God is our God. We invite and encourage and forgive and love. We feed the hungry and remember the prisoner. We notice and we reach out to the stranger and the foreigners among us because our God is their God. Let's worship our God.